Welcome to episode 141 of Destination Linux for everyone. My name is Jason Evangelo, and this week I have forced Michael to rewatch the Lizard Baby episode of Voyager on repeat. And uh, I actually hear that he's enjoying it. So How dare what I've you? Done is I've, I, you oh. can't take over our podcast, Jason. <laughs> we This is our podcast. You don't do a hostile takeover. That's what we do to you. Yeah, and also... Yes, twice, twice. And and the idea that you'd make me watch that show again is just... That's it's too awful. much torture. That is too much torture for any one person to take, okay? That's well, listen, torture I'm, for me I'm watching it one time, show. so I, I completely sympathize. <laughs> Sorry, that was probably way over the line. Yeah. By the way, we no, all no, love no, Star Trek, okay. but not Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> not Voyager. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, well, yeah, this is our show, so how dare you take over our show? Uh, we didn't yeah. do that to you twice, so that I don't understand where nope. that came from. Certainly not. Certainly not. <laughs> Guys, is it a bit inappropriate to say I thought that was one of the best intros ever? Wow, Seb. No. You are yes, part of this it, show. Yes, it is isn't inappropriate. <laughs> let, let me get this on the right track here. So this is a podcast of four of the greatest minds ever talking about our passion for Linux. I'm Ryan, and with me today are the Pokemon Masters of Linux, Michael, Rob, and our special guest host, Jason Evangelo. So, like we do every week, I want to know what everyone's been up to, and we're going to start with you, Rob. We want to know what you've been up to this week, especially since you're wearing a beanie that I believe is paying homage to my original first videos on the Das Geek channel in which I only wore a beanie. Um, it is. I just wanted to see for one episode, did I look as silly as you used to? So we'll see how it goes. How dare you? <laughs> so unfortunately, I've had a, a pretty basic week. Um, I've resumed my ETS gaming streams. Um, I was getting so many emails from people saying, look, we missed your Saturday morning show. So um, I've started those up again. Um, I've sorted out some partitioning and removed a number of distros, uh, basically to make way for some more testing that um, I want to do. But I guess the highlight of my week nowadays is keeping an eye on the DLN Discourse channel. Um, there are so many awesome topics that pop up and you learn so much from it. It's absolutely great. And of course, hanging out in the Telegram channel, talking to our awesome members. And I think, Ryan, you've got an update on the numbers. Yeah, we are at 930 members now. So we are so close to hitting that thousand mark. You guys have heard the call You've gone out and signed up to Telegram and joined the Destination Linux group. So let's make it an even 1,000 this week. I think we gained at least 40 or 50 members since the last episode. So if we if we do that again, we're going to be pretty close to hitting that 1,000 mark uh, here in the next week, which I think is just awesome that we've built this giant community out there on Telegram. But definitely appreciate you also mentioning the discourse out there, Zeb, because I haven't been able to be there this week because I've had family emergencies and things going on. Everything's fine now, but I plan to get in there and uh, really start talking with folks and get part of the community. So if you haven't seen me there, that's why, but I will be there this coming week for sure. So with that said, Michael, we really don't have to go to you to ask what you've been up to this week. We know you created some more OBS scenes, so we can move on. Um, you know, I'm teasing. What's up? How dare you? Okay, so I've had a pretty busy week, actually. And uh, in addition to all the OBS scenes that I did create, uh, at least triple the amount that I normally have. So uh, because, of course, we had we added Jason as a, as a guest host, so I had to do all sorts of tweaking. Uh, not that much, actually, but hey. 
but I did appear on a lot of different things. I I got a, I was on some a few multiple podcasts this week. Uh, I was actually Wednesday morning. I uh, was on Floss Weekly. I was the co-host of that episode where I interviewed uh, Neil McGovern of Gnome. And nice. yeah, I was also on uh, another podcast Wednesday evening. And that was on uh, Rocco's Linux Spotlight, where he interviewed me about my experience and journey into Linux. And also on Friday, I was on the Linux Lads podcast, where we had discussions about news. And that was actually their first episodes or the series, their season three that, you know, they took like a two month hiatus. So I, I joined them for that one. And that's they, they should all be out uh, this week, except for the Linux Spotlight will be coming out some uh, sometime, I think two weeks from now, like in October. And, uh, I think it's. I think he said October 9th, So just if you're interested in that, check that out. Uh, yeah. So I did all those things. Uh, basically, in the past week, I have worked on or been on a podcast of some sort every day, except for one day. So uh, yeah, b- pretty busy this week. Uh, and also, of course, the setting up all the stuff for the Mumble server and the and you know doing some more stuff in the forums. And speaking of the forums, we have 264 people on the forums. So if you want to join that, that'd be nice. awesome too. Uh, so yeah. Pretty busy week. Uh, how about, how's your week been, Ryan? Well, I've had some a lot of family stuff like I was talking about, and all of that is going fine now. But I did finally have, towards the end of the week, some time to Linux properly. And so what I've done is, and for those just listening, you won't see this, but I'm holding up a tablet here that runs full Arch on it. Well, Endeavor OS Arch that it's running. It's absolutely, well, you can just see the light there, absolutely gorgeous. I'm using the GNOME desktop Endeavor, so XFCE with the touchscreen, not so great on the Microsoft Surface Go, um, which is a very, in it, it's, it's not super inexpensive, but it's inexpensive as far as the Surface line goes. This is their cheapest Surface line tablet that you can get into. And of course, the only problem with it is gorgeous hardware, but who wants Microsoft on a tablet because it's so bloated? So the first thing we did is wipe that and put Endeavor OS, which absolutely runs beautifully. I'm going to do a video on this this week. Everything is working from on-screen keyboard to rotation of the screen, rotating, uh, sound, all of those things. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, video coming soon on my channel. So that will be another option for people looking to get a Linux uh, tablet uh, for themselves. In addition, this week, I am going to have my Linux and coffee meetup group, and it's been growing so much uh, locally here in North Georgia. So if you're in the North Georgia area, uh, some people are traveling even from other states to come to it, which is really cool. This would be the week to come. This coming Saturday, Um, we are going to have Michael in town again with us. And we're going to a new location. One of the members has an office location. Since we've grown so much, we chose a new coffee house that had more room and we filled the entire room. So now we're going to move to another location and uh, of an office location. So hopefully we don't fill that up. But with Michael there, if you want to see Michael, um, you know, mess up his hair, ask him a question about... um, Hannah Montana Linux. Uh, those are all things that you can do at the local uh, event. So you can go to Dosgate Community website and get information on head on uh, that local user group in yep. North Georgia. All of those sound really great, except for the messing up the hair part. We're going to skip that one. 
um, <laughs> but the rest of it, because only apparently only Zeb is allowed to do that. Uh, so uh, we have the, we're going to be I'm going to be there for this this weekend. It's going to be great. So be sure to go there if you're in the area or if you can be in the area. Uh, I'm also uh, doing my own uh, Linux user group uh, that Wednesday. So if you want to check out the like after work time is about 6 p.m. If you're in the uh, the central Alabama area, uh, you can come to that as well. And yeah, so I think that's going to be great. And we did not time it accurately that be on the same week. It just happened to happen. So uh, that's perfect. So I get to go to two lugs this week. And uh, yeah, so go to uh, uh, there's no website for that one. So we'll just. Make a thing. Wow, on the- Michael, the website creator himself yeah. doesn't have a website for his own look. I mean, technically, I started one. I didn't finish it because I started so working how, on a destination Linux net web for do what? Oh, how you, does anybody? You can just uh, go to uh, destinationlinux.networks forum, and I'll post about it there. <laughs> there you Sounds go. Good. But just a, a just a little word of warning for anybody who does decide to muck up Michael's hair. I've only just this week got rid of the last bit of hair gel that I still had on my hand, so just be careful. I mean, that's a, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it actually could be true too. That's <laughs> a lot. Of All right, let's let's get into what our listeners really want to hear about, and that's Jason. What have you been up to this week, sir? You know what? It has been uh, a li- a little bit like Michael. It's been podcast fever over here over the last seven days. I've had the opportunity to interview uh, Christopher Scott from Microsoft, who we've all been talking nice. a lot about. Um, his interview is live right now on episode 10. And a couple days later, I got to interview Artyom Zorin. And we had an absolutely amazing, just insightful, I would say, um, chat. Because it was, so, it was about so much more than just Zorin OS. You know, and, and I got some insights into what the, the Zorin brothers are doing to, to increase adoption worldwide on, on just Linux, period. Love Not it. just Zorin, but things they're doing for the whole community. And it was really just, it was amazing. So um, I'm looking forward to putting that out there. And then I was on T Earl Grey Hot. So now I have joined Ryan and Michael as a guest host on that show. Nice. And that was... Very cool. And that was an absolute blast. We talked enterprise and uh, Michael. Other than that, I, I have to confess, I never saw all of Voyager. So my wife and I have been binge watching Voyager, and Sorry. I'm not. I'm not pleased. It makes sense. Yeah, I'm not pleased. It makes. It makes sense. Um, and that's been my week. I mean, it's been it's been all podcasting all the time, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, the podcasting part. Yeah, I get why you wouldn't trade that for anything. And being on T Earl Grey Hot, which is an awesome podcast out there if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, the one thing that you probably do regret is watching all of Voyager. And so uh, I apologize for that. That is not really Star Trek. You pretend <laughs> that one. Season one, okay, but I know we're not going to go off on a tangent here, but season one was decent. Season two went completely off the rails. And then I think it was episode five or six my wife and i last night came across the lizard baby episode and we were like we're we're done we're done yeah. with this <laughs> this it's that, that at that point anytime when people talk about like you know warriors not that bad it's like lizard babies and it's like there's not there's you can't justify that like whatever there's a couple characters in that show that are good and are good for the se- the franchise 
and we're yeah. gonna and 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 I can't. I'm glad they're gonna be in the Picard series, but every other character from that series, you can just ignore them because they don't yeah. really matter, especially considering some of them became lizards for some apparent reason. So yeah, uh, Voyager is one of those shows that some people like, and no one can explain why. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by our friends DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You get all of this, plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month or you can use their flexible pricing structure for low as low as 0.7 cents. That's 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. I use those cloud agnostic tutorials all the time, sometimes for things that have nothing to do even with the cloud. I love that their tutorials are out there. They're constantly updated. They let you know if one of the tutorials you're looking at happens to be deprecated and link you to the, the, the latest version that's out there. It's just a fantastic resource for people who are in Linux. So get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash DL. We want you to let them know that we sent you there. So make sure you use uh, to get started on DigitalOcean, the do.co slash DL. And for that, they're going to give you a $50 credit. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So community feedback this week, and Jake sent us a video question. Um, but first he writes, love the podcast, kept the video as close as I could to two or to one minute. So here we go. Hi, my name is Jake, and I'm a pastor in Independence, Missouri. I've been using Linux for a few years. I'm definitely a beginner. Just started listening to Destination Linux here recently. I was hoping you guys could help me out with a question. This is Daniel, my worship leader here at church, and uh, he's been using a Mac for a long time, but he's open to trying out Linux if it can do some of the same things his Mac does. So what are you needing this computer to do? Yeah, I, um, I do. I record a lot of videos for kids, and I make a lot of educational videos for kids. Um, counting to 20, counting to 100, math facts, things like that, but I I have used Final Cut Pro before, but I like to do a lot of video editing and things like that, making like 10, 15, 20 minute videos sometimes, and Final Cut Pro is great, but I've heard a lot of good things about Linux, so what are some our alternatives to Final Cut Pro and just some good video editing software through Linux? And then do you want any instrumentation or audio editing stuff? Yeah, um, I've used Logic Pro X, which has been fine, but um, I just want to see what's available out there with Linux um, just to do, just record songs, raps, all different kinds of things, and new beats and things like that as well. So, Yeah, if you guys could suggest some stuff to us, we'd love that. Thank you guys at Destination Linux. That's an awesome video. So it's interesting, when I did my 30 Days of Linux journey, and I had played with, uh, obviously, a lot with Macs and Windows up to that point. Uh, and when I went into Linux, the first thing I needed to make videos in the 30-day series was a good video editor. And the first one that I found that I love and still utilize some today, of course, is Caden Live. 
So I think Caden mm-hmm. Live is a really good option for you uh, to, to try and get into video editing. To me, it's very familiar to any of the other video editing suites out there. Uh, since that time, I've also played with Lightworks, which is one that Noah recommends a lot. Now, that is proprietary. It's not open source. But if you need this, this Lightworks was utilized to create Emmy award-winning movies and just it had won tons of awards. It's an amazing suite. So if you need that professional, fully professional suite at your fingertips with all of the capabilities of a professional video editing service, then Lightworks would be the one that I would recommend there. Finally, I think Blender is another option that people don't talk about a lot, but is a very capable video editing service. Now it will, has a much larger learning curve. I actually have a video series out there on my channel to teach you the basics of video editing in Blender. However, if you learn Blender's interface, you can also take that into the other aspects of Blender, such as 3D rendering, you know, title creation, animations, those type of things that Blender has. It's much more complex and it's going to take you a lot of time to learn Blender, but it is an option there if you want to learn that. Those would be my recommendations to start out with, though. Caden Live would be probably the easiest one for you to just get started in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I'm not really uh, into video editing, but isn't there also, and forgive me if you mentioned it, but isn't there also OpenShot and Cinelera or something similar? Yes, OpenShot, Cinelera, Pit2V, Olive, uh, Lives, technically. DaVinci? DaVinci Resolve? I wouldn't suggest DaVinci Resolve because it's the most commonly mentioned because it's one of those bigger platforms, but it doesn't work very well on Linux. It says it supports Linux, but it supports Mm. like one distro and one version of that distro. So I would say not to mention that mostly Just to add to that, Michael, because that is a very good point. One of the biggest complaints I received in my videos when people were switching to Linux with me is, Hey, I wanted to find a good, you know, video editor, so I went to DaVinci Resolve and I can't get it installed. My system doesn't work. I ruined my system trying to do these special settings to get DaVinci Resolve. Now, some people will come in and say, "I install it all the time and never have a problem." Great. But I can tell you that even if you look at the videos of people who are doing YouTube content creation that are following the I'm switching to Linux, the first thing they do and the reason why most of their videos if you watch them, they say they ended up not liking it or going back to Windows was because of trying to install DaVinci Resolve. It is a complete disaster installer Mm. in Linux. And until they fix that, I do not recommend people use it. They have a custom uh, uh, SH script that's created by taking their binaries and then making a new binary SH script for some reason. It's like, just make an app image or a flat pack or a snap or whatever. Why are you doing this? But whatever. So, I mean, the reason why I mentioned all those other video editors as well is because I think we're slightly spoilt in Linux that you can choose the editor to meet your competency level. So if you've got really basic stuff to use, then I'm sure you can find the video editor you want. But if you're really into integrated, you know, tweaking and split scenes and all sorts of fancy stuff, then then probably Caden Live is your best bet. Yeah, if you want to, if you, I think Caden Live is probably the best uh, overall open source option. I think Lightworks has a lot of great features and has a lot of great value in like the premium side. So if you wanted to use like get into it really deeply with the premium side, uh, Lightworks is probably where I'd go for. Uh, but as far as like just a the you know getting into Linux and doing video editing with Linux, Caden Live is probably the most featureful while also being not a huge learning curve. Like Blender is definitely impressive. Uh, but it is it does have a big learning curve, and if you do want to try out Blender, then definitely check out uh, Ryan's video for that. 
And uh, that's I would still say that for me, Caden Live is powerful enough, but also easy to get into uh, to the point. If you already have experience on video editing, you, it'll translate very well. You know, like the shortcuts will be different, but the layout, the structure, all that will be pretty much the same. So that will pre that what I would suggest because it's just the easiest one to get to and get have the most features. Whereas the other ones are good, but they have other they have their own issues. Like for example, Olive is a very impressive editor, especially considering it's in an alpha stage. But it's in an alpha stage, so it's kind of hard to recommend it to people because it's right. you know, there's a lot of bugs and there's a lot of things that they know aren't available yet, but will be. So, Jason, do you have any recommendations in this field? You know, I, I honestly don't. Uh, I do very little um, video editing. And so, in fact, I, I just learned tonight that Blender is also a video editor. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I honestly had yeah. no idea about that. So I get that a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I would say, though, you know, is I've I've played around with Caden Live a bit and it may not have every single feature of, you know, the commercial video editors like Premiere Pro, but I would say fairly confidently that for 95% of users, it's got more than enough features and it's, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was easy enough for me to just install and jump right in and start editing stuff. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. Even the professional side of it, like I, I technically do, I, I, I would, I don't know what you'd call these podcasts professional, but the, there's a little bit more than just basic clips, trims and clips and stuff like that. So even with that workflow necessary, Caden Live can f- uh, facilitate that, which is really good. Uh, and yep. uh, also, if you're interested in doing checking out Caden Live, they provide their own app image, so it's really easy to get started whatever distro you use. And uh, yeah, that's what I would suggest trying out because they're always up to date and it's really easy to do. So we also asked about audio. Dark One in our patron chat says Audacity, Mix, Ocean Audio, Ardor, Reaper, and Bitwig as options there. Now, out of those... I've used Audacity and Ardor and Ocean Audio. I tend to use Ocean Audio probably the most. I utilize it for any time I'm doing recording on the side. Again, I think it's proprietary. I don't think it's open source, but it just is a really good recording option out there. And so is Audacity. I've used it plenty in my time, but those are two really powerful audio programs. Um, And then individuals who are doing studio level audio work generally recommend reaper i hear that one constantly though i've personally uh like jason said with video editing i don't get into audio too much so that's outside of my uh realm but i hear reaper being talked about a lot i would actually um first of all audacity i mean that's that's all that i use to uh to record edit produce my podcast and that's all i need because it's it's more than powerful enough. It's simple. It's stable. Um, but when you're talking about music production, I would actually really recommend Bitwig, and that's just that's from personal experience. Nice. And and the thing about Bitwig is it yes, it's commercial software, but the the Linux support is so good, and it doesn't feel like it's you know it's some handicapped version. It feels aside from some missing plugin support. Uh, I, I feel like it's it's really robust and it's it's it takes a little bit to wrap your head around because it's got such a different interface than you might be used to, especially if you're coming from Logic Pro, which is what I'm coming from as well. And uh, but it is it is infinitely customizable what you can do with, uh, you know, just as one example. And I won't I won't bore everybody here, but if you have a, a guitar part, you can 
you can literally create the the dimensions of the amplifier and the tube size and i mean it's it's infinitely tweakable wow. and you can create any kind of sound that you can imagine nice. and it's uh it takes you know it's got a learning curve it takes a bit of of effort to you know really sit down and learn it but it it, it pays off nice it really yeah. pays off i totally understand all the things you just said about the guitar stuff totally get it every every bit well yeah when you um, play your recorder and then the triangle you do the same thing right, right exactly exactly yeah. and also uh whatever those things that you just kind of like i don't know whatever those yeah, are called. those things yeah, yeah. when we do our live yeah. band when you come to the lug we're, to- uh, we're total we're... music pros yep yep absolutely the other thing i just want to mention real quick is nathan wolf in chat this may be helpful to you uh mentions that not related directly to your question but he uses open lp church lyrics program he's working on pushing his church to use this versus the ultra expensive pro presenter so open lp uh is described as a feature rich open source church presentation platform that doesn't tie you down to subscription renewals and things out there so go check that out as well as you get into your linux journey and by the way welcome to linux we're yes absolutely so we hope that that's going to help you get Daniel happily on Linux. Um, and you say there that you would love some swag and we'd love to send you some. So anybody who sends in a video that we use, um, please include your address and then we can get this stuff posted out to you. Yep. Robbie sent us a video review. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm Robbie with True Flame Tech, an upcoming tech and Linux focused and decentralization YouTube channel. But aside from that, I want to comment on one of your recent podcasts slash videos regarding the universal Linux apps, specifically Snap. I believe that Canonical is keeping Snap proprietary on the server side because they want to make it feel safe for proprietary software. Uh, and they're trying to get proprietary software in the Linux ecosystem in a way that proprietary companies would be comfortable with. Interesting. Um, I'd never actually thought of it being a deliberate take by Canonical to help get proprietary software into Linux. I mean, Linux in it, by its very nature is that much more secure than um than Windows. So where's where's that thought process is process coming from? I think it's just because the the store itself is proprietary, and that's why it is it kind of creates a uh, a confusion for the community of why it's proprietary. And there's been people from Canonical uh, who come out and said what they think their opinion is, or even just uh, I'm not sure if they actually have had an official announcement about it, but I've seen in various communities uh, people from Canonical talking about why. And usually the thing is because it's like it's something about like the a lot of effort is involved and then the comparison to Launchpad where Launchpad wasn't proprietary at one point and then people were saying, well, if it was proprietary, we would use it and that we would, um, you know, fork it and do code submits and that kind of stuff. And that didn't happen. So like they did open source Launchpad, but the majority of the time, like I, I don't know of any forks that ever happened or maybe the forks happened, but I don't know of anybody setting up their own instance. And they said that they only have a few commits, but the, the effort in having to open source it is a lot because you have to make it ready for, you know, commitment and to, you know, support it and that kind of thing. Whereas if it was proprietary, they don't have to put in the extra effort of supporting people wanting to work on it or people wanting to have their own instance and having uh, support questions about that. 
and you know that kind of thing. So you know, I think that's where it's coming from, and I do, I I understand their complaint about it, but they can also just say it's open and we're not going to support it. You know, they could just do that, and I think that would be better than being not open at all. Well, not having their server open source doesn't stop. It doesn't protect the proprietary apps any differently, right? Right. The, the back end that I can think of anyways. Now, I've been doing a lot of work with a charity on digital divide issues recently, uh, and it, it's amazing how many people here in the United States and across the world do not have the financial resources to get online and certainly don't have the financial resources to uh, pay for all of these professional proprietary software solutions that are out there. It creates a huge issue because you have these brilliant kids and adults who have the talent to be able to do incredible things, maybe launch their own YouTube channels, maybe filmmaking, maybe doing music, uh, but they don't have access to the same programs. And my fear with this whole thing is I'm, I'm not sure his uh, Robbie's take on it is to bring more proprietary software in or to protect the proprietary software, but certainly Ubuntu brings a lot of proprietary software into things like Snaps um, heavily. And my fear is that this proprietary software, uh, if it comes into Linux in a very heavy way, is going to knock out a lot of the free and open source options out there, right? The, The communities for the people out there who have money are going to be switching over to the proprietary software because a lot of times, frankly, it has features that the open source uh, software doesn't, especially in things like video editing and music creation. Now, that's not always the case. There are examples where the free and open source is far better, OBS Studio being a perfect example of that. Um, But I do have this fear that it was kind of okay to let proprietary in a little bit because we needed to get work done. But I'm not so sure I want this gate floodgate open where we're just like, Everything we talk about is proprietary, which is why in our software tips and software selections we do on this show, we I, I think only maybe one time have we ever mentioned a proprietary, if at all, software out there because we want something that everybody can have access to. Sure. So if that's their solution, if that's their reasoning, if Robbie's on the right track, I still don't like it. It's just not, I, I don't, I think everything should be, if you're an open source company representing open source, you should open source everything that should be it, yeah, I agree with that as- aspect of then they should open source their server. I think they should because there's re- like the value that they're saying that they you know the lack of effort that they that or too much effort in it, uh, not lack of effort being a value, but like just they don't have to put as much effort into it being open uh, as they would because they would have to be like they'd have to commit to support, they'd have to commit to you know pay- looking at pull requests and that kind of thing. But they could also say, here's the source that's open. We're not going to be supporting it. We're not going to be whatever. And I think that'd be better than the proprietary yeah. aspect of it. Um, so I think that that's, that, that's why that, that argument, I don't think, is, is you know, it's, it's, it's not acceptable to me. And I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I don't have anything against Canonical for doing it. I understand why they're doing it. I just think they need to look at it a different perspective. However, the devil's advocate approach on the proprietary software itself as an app uh, I'm going to take that side because I, in some ways I agree with it. But the, the reason why I'm saying it is because if you take some software and have the fear of the proprietary, sure, that there is some aspects to that as well, that, that it will be true. But there also will be aspects where there are people who are using, who can't use Linux because they don't want to go through the process of not having the software that they already have, that they have. And this is a problem of 
you know, we're limiting the amount of people who would be coming to Linux versus the people who are already on Linux who would be willing to go to those proprietary things. And I think the, the benefit of bringing the proprietary software is way greater than the, the potential loss of people who are already on Linux who are already dealing with not having that software. That, so I think that the net the net gain would be much greater than the net negative, and uh, especially considering like people who use Photoshop, there isn't no, there's nothing like Photoshop that a, a professional can use on Linux, and there's nothing even other than Photoshop really that except for like Corel Draw and that kind of thing that are PaintShop Pro that are close enough, but are still not in the same level of the industry. Well, you're wrong, but that's okay. So Jason, do you have anything? Wow. I see you, you've been, wow. Yeah, you're, no, you're I've been here. chomping at the bit to say something. And, and, and basically it's, it's such a, it's such a fine, delicate line, you know, as far as proprietary versus, uh, versus free and open source. But we, I'm of the opinion that we need the proprietary software to increase Linux adoption among normal users. And, you know, at the same time, once we get more people into the Linux ecosystem, then maybe they'll discover the, the, the FOSS alternatives to their favorite software, right? And the people who are already here, if you want, I, I, can't, I can't stress this enough, if you want your favorite uh, FOSS project to thrive and to have more features, and to be able to compete against the proprietary giants in some cases, donate to them, support mm -hmm. them, help them, do what you can to, to make it a better product. And you can do that even if you don't know how to do, you know, how to write a line of code. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. I think that's a fantastic point about definitely giving to the FOSS projects and giving them the ability to actually compete uh, by giving them financial backing, allowing them to maybe do it for a living so that they're not having to work two jobs and then come home and work on bug reports like we know a lot of developers do. This is mm -hmm. all very important. But I, again, I don't think, you know, having some proprietary software, for instance, when I first started in Linux, I had an NVIDIA video card, right? If, if people had not done work to bring the proprietary drivers into Linux, I would have never stayed with Linux. I don't like it doesn't work on my machines. I can't use it. So yes, there is there is a need to have that stuff there to a point. I think though that just bringing it all in and letting the floodgates open, I don't think people are going to go out there and start discovering their FOSS alternative anymore. Um, and we have to keep in mind too that Linux isn't uh, struggling anymore. This isn't the days of old where Linux had no foothold pretty much anywhere. We own 90% of the server cloud market uh, entirely. So um, companies have to come to Linux at this point if they want to compete. Companies like Microsoft had to come to Linux. Companies uh, like IBM had to come to Linux and find solutions for Linux. Intel, AMD, NVIDIA is even making new moves now to come to Linux because on the server side, they have to start creating options out there if they want to compete in the industry at all. I think we're at a point now where we don't have to beg and plead for companies just to come over and bring their product and that we can create some rules and say, yeah, you can come over here with proprietary, but we should still all be encouraging them as a community nicely to say, by the way, if you, you know, if you really want to be accepted in the Linux community, you need to provide some FOSS options here because there are a lot of people in the world who can't afford this type of stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, it's a balance. There's no perfect answer here, but I'm of the mindset that Linux is not in this desperate state that it once was. And we have done so good without them 
to this point. And I think that the world, if Adobe decides to never bring their product to Linux, is a world in which Adobe suffers, not Linux. So as mm-hmm. a devil's advocate and, approach again, I disagree because... Yeah. Um, it's okay but, to be wrong. You're, you're right. You are okay point, to be wrong. Yeah. Picking up on that point, though, Brian, that you said that people can't afford it. Um, there was a, a very good article written this week, and I can't remember the guy's name who wrote it, about um, Mate, Ubuntu Mate, mm-hmm. and the fact that their lead developer uh, was recognizing that they had uh, other people coming in t- into the project that were helping him not have to do this tedious back-end work. That it's it's got to be done, otherwise the, the whole distribution isn't the whole product. But because he could now give this to these volunteers, these people who wanted to contribute to the project without money, he was then able to spend more time doing the coding. Absolutely. Which I think was was absolutely awesome. I just wish I could remember the guy's name who wrote it. I don't know. I don't. I think uh, I I couldn't tell you. If you find, know, if you know anyone who writes at Forbes, I think he does. Yeah. <laughs> if we find if we find out who it is, we'll put a link in the show notes. There you go. Cool. That'd be that'd be cool. That'd be cool. But yeah, that was uh, and and like and I I talked to him. I talked to Martin about this on Telegram, and he was. I mean, you could see the smile on his face, even though you couldn't see it, right? And he, you know, he said that this was the best Mate release ever because of these people, because of these, um, this expanded QA team that that volunteered to help him. And uh, but you want to know why this is also the best Mate release? Because he's so excited about it and you can feel it in every word he's writing about it Mm -hmm. and every time he's talking about it. And I cannot emphasize and Michael, you know about this in marketing enough to say when people are passionate about what they're doing. It is infectious. infectious. You Mm -hmm. just want to, I like, I haven't checked out Mate in a long time, but after reading all the posts and the articles and listening to Martin talk about it, I'm like, man, I I need to get into Mate and see what he's done because he's passionate about all the other developers are doing these release notes where it's like, you know, updated panel dash to have an extra square in the corner, right-hand corner, added a new theme for dark. There's no, nobody's (laughs) passionate into it. Like I saw this issue and I was sick of it, and I fixed it, and I, I absolutely love it and can't wait to see what you I think about it. I updated this box, mm-hmm. and it was in the corner, and now we're going to fix it. <laughs> but put some passion I'm, into it, and people will care. That's what I'm saying is, like, if you put release notes out there that look like you don't care, you've given exactly what the community is going to feel about your release. Well, and that's why, even though there's all these Ubuntus that have been updated, everybody's talking about Mate because mm-hmm. you can feel his passion. Well, let me give you a big tip if you're a HIDPI monitor user. Um, It's buried within the look and feel of the theme that you have chosen. But go in there, tweak it to how you like it. And I'm telling you, this HIDPI solution that Marte has now got is the single best one out there. It is awesome. Right out of the box. Okay, you have to tweak it for your individual requirements, but it is spot on. One of my biggest complaints about HIDPI is I get my whole monitor fantastic. I open up Firefox and the headings are minute. Mate has solved that. Telegram headings, they're all integrated. I don't know what he's done and how he's done it, but it's the single best HIDPI solution I've seen out there since ever. 
Awesome. I, I also hear that uh, that Mate has some excellent uh, NVIDIA Optimus support for, for people with uh, hybrid graphics solutions. And I didn't know that before. I, I had no idea. I thought Pop! OS was kind of the you know, the, the leader and the, the pioneer in that regard. But uh, apparently Mate has this feature that's really worth looking into. So now if we can yeah, just good get work across all fronts. to care about AMD, we'll be in business. Perfect. That would be nice. <laughs> See, th- I just want to, I just want to take a moment to talk about how wrong you were and apologize. Okay. No, I totally disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> I just want to take a moment and to recognize myself for, <laughs> Um, for having a lot to say. Oh my god! Listen, for having a lot to say with the, the the disagreement of the proprietary thing because of the whole gradual way you get people to switch to stuff and how it's necessary and how uh, the, the Linux is dominant on the server. Yes, and it's completely irrelevant to desktop users. All of that is irrelevant. Not irrelevant. At completely all. irrelevant to desktop users. Not irrelevant at all. You're you're okay. It's okay. You're Every wrong. Every single person who is forced to utilize the servers in the workplace are also going to look at it in toward their desktop. Yes, computer, and the percentage of people who are doing that are not desktop everybody users. Everybody else is right. trying to promote WSL for developers because they know everybody's right. sitting in for developers. Servers, sure, sure. So they know sure. that the developers mm-hmm. will not leave their platform for mm-hmm. Linux because they know that that's where they're going mm-hmm. because they work on it all day on servers. So you're wrong. Yes, yes and they, the amount of developers. Versus the amount of users of regular users actually how many of that yes sure you're right you're you're right that that one small percentage <laughs> of ratio matters but the rest of it oh, doesn't matter fell asleep, guys. Um, Let's yeah on. so uh, anyway hey, by the way, anyway the, thank you for you to compliment yourself no no the, the thank rec- you for the, the power nap michael I you're welcome that. you're welcome the recognition reason is because that's not in the episode and you're welcome why is it not in the episode because we just did it after the topic because it would be uh, they'd okay. make the show super long why, I just, who cares that was good discussion. I you can't cut that out. Feels it was like a three-hour episode, and we're only an hour and a half in. I'm not yeah. cutting. You can't cut that out. So, a first in the show for the news is CentOS Stream. Now, this is a very interesting topic, and I, I can't wait to dig into it. So, Red Hat is releasing a new version of CentOS called CentOS Stream, and it will be a rolling release of CentOS, similar to Arch, Tumbleweed, Solus, and that kind of thing. So we've talked about a lot on this podcast for like the six-month gap or the year gap for traditional release models of the stable release structure, which doesn't technically mean stability. But anyway, uh, so regarding, regarding this, the way that most distros are doing their style and support, and the issues with that supporting new hardware and applications and the uh, leading-edge technologies and just that sort of issue. Uh, but Red Hat has taken notice to this gap and with the server space are changing an accelerated pace, so they've wanted to find a solution and their, their answer to that is CentOS Stream. So at this point, you might be thinking, isn't this what Fedora does? And sort of, but a little bit too much. So they're doing it in a different way. So they're doing a gradual structure of Fedora was Red Hat's bleeding edge release or cutting edge release, however you want to phrase it, in which the tests would be slowly incorporated downstream into Rail and then eventually into CentOS. Whereas they're switching it now so that instead of going directly to Rail, they're going to go direct, they're going to go to CentOS from Fedora. So the new version will be taking from Fedora, then to Centro, then to CentOS, then to Rail, so that Rail stays that stable commercial product that it always has been, and put CentOS in a more midstream thing so that it, it'll be more like where Fedora is going to still do all the pushing and testing and innovation and stuff, and then they're going to send it to their CentOS to kind of polish it up for Rail. And then Rails going to announce their new versions. And I actually, I'm much more like this process rather than the other way because that means that not only are 
Uh, you know, CentOS was the like really cool because it was the open source binary compatible or binary exactly with Red Hat, but you had to wait to get CentOS support. Now you don't have to wait, uh, and you can get all the benefits of it, and even sooner than RHEL. So that's pretty awesome. Now, what's interesting for me is, has this come about because the guys at Fedora or RHEL realized that they needed something in that middle ground or is it because they're now owned by ibm and ibm and said look boys we're missing a market here and we need to to, to move up on this second we're never going to know unless you're really into rel but it's always interesting for me new organization takes over and then all of a sudden these new innovations come out no i think it's actually been there there this is way before ibm because um they bought CentOS a while back so like the CentOS was a community distro and red hat purchased CentOS to basically make you know make it better and i think moving this this might be related to ibm making help help having input into the decision but i think this is a much better decision for the users because the the only the, the biggest issue with CentOS was that you'd have to wait much longer from rail to get any of the updates and this way you can still use CentOS and you can probably lock it to a particular release version or a snapshot version and then if you didn't want to do that and you still want to get all the updates and everything, it's benefiting the community as well in that way. So I think that's, I, it may or may not be, but I think that this kind of thing would be, have to have more time to facilitate that than the IBM being involved has offered it. So this is the only distro now that, or the only distro really left, I was thinking when I was looking at this article that doesn't have any type of rolling release flavor at all is canonical ubuntu and debian right so every other major flavor from susa uh arch um all have a solace of course all have rolling flavors rolling distros but debian and ubuntu do not have an official rolling flavor and i think that's interesting that um red hat has ibm has doubled down on basically having a you know fedora as their more extreme rolling edge release and you have CentOS in the middle and then you have, which is very similar to kind of OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, SUSE relationship. Uh, and then you have, of course, at the end, RHEL, which is your most stable. Um, when we talk about desktop adoption, the hardware support that's going into the kernel these days, as we've mentioned, every time we cover a new kernel release, it the amount of hardware uh, compatibility that gets enabled in that new release is generally astounding. In addition, people miss out on so many features that we cover on this show saying, oh, this, this version of software has a new release. This version of software has a new release. If you're on these non-rolling distros, you don't see that. Sometimes for six months, sometimes for a year, you don't see that. So this to me is pretty smart on Red Hat's part, but I have to wonder what is Canonical and Debian going to do here to compete? Because I think it is a missed market. For them. All right, all right. Educate me as as the the newest you know Linux advocate in the house here by far. Um, what is I mean? Why is it necessary to have a rolling release on the server side of things? You know, my my understanding of that market is is that they want stability and they don't want bleeding edge hardware because you know they they don't want the uh, the inherent problems that could come with that. So, yes. yeah. I think What's... servers are changing and adapting tremendously from what they were 
prior. First of all, uh, you have AMD Epic, for instance, which is completely come in and upset the entire server market, right? They have won now, what, 150 world records and won all these awards, and they've partnered with Google and Azure and IBM and Red Hat and all of these companies that are now pulling all these Epic servers into their family, and you have to have a distribution that supports them. If you're on an old release that has an old kernel, and you've probably ran into this, Jason, because I know you actually on your desktop have the new, uh, had the new AMD third gen, it didn't support it, right? Initially, when you booted up into the latest distros, you couldn't boot because it has system D. Uh, that's, that's a fair point. You I mean, had to it do wasn't... a bunch of workarounds, and the same thing goes for the server side. So you don't want bleeding edge on a server. Most people don't run Arch on a server, but you do mm-hmm. want the ability to get these hardware enablement stacks in place. And while Canonical and them have the ability to, to do those hardware enablement stacks, they're not done on a, on a basis that's quick enough for most people yeah. who are adopting. Now, I would say it's less necessary on a server in some cases, unless you have big upsets like this where you have a whole market kind of shifting to a different processor brand, at least in part. But from a desktop perspective, constantly run into the issue where I can't utilize these so-called stable release models because by the time they catch up, uh, it would be, I would be sitting on there doing a video review of the new AMD uh, CPU six months later. So does this leave Canonical at a, at a severe disadvantage then? And I mean, in some ways it can, I mean, I wouldn't say on the, 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 uh, the server side, I don't think it would be necessarily that not big yet. of a not, not yet. I don't think it's necessarily that yeah. big of a deal, but I think there are many cases where you would want to have some updated things. Like, for example, when we wanted to do the Mumble server. So the Mumble server is a is a is available right now. Uh, you know, hint, uh, Mumble dot destination Linux dot network. And uh, there, but in order to do that, we have to have a server for the Murmur server, and we have to have a certain the clients available for the users. Now. This is an issue even on the server side because most distributions don't have the latest version and they won't for a very long time. And there are so many different features that are available in the latest version for both the server and the clients that are very important for Mumble. So when when we would try to set it up, I tried to use Debian to set it up and there was just no way to do it because when I set up, there was in order to get it, there was only like release candidates and that kind of stuff for Debian. Whereas with... Uh, Ubuntu, it was just way easier to set up a PPA and all that. So that if they had a rolling style, it'd be much better. Yeah, so I think that this is not, you know, this is not a, a Canonical's going to die if they don't have this, but I think there's going to be some competition uh, issues here if they don't come out. It, it's interesting to me that they don't have a rolling release flavor. I think it's a perfect opportunity for somebody to create a flavor. They seem, uh, I don't know if they're interested in it or if it's something they're, they just have said no to and nobody in the community's tried. I don't know what the issue is, um, but certainly you could go in there and use like UKUU and those things to try to hack the kernel and stuff. But nobody from a, including myself from a stability standpoint, want to go and utilize third-party programs to kind of hack it to make it work versus having that naturally like in an arch or an open source tumbleweed or in a solace scenario where I can just install it and I have the latest stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be interesting because like you were talking about earlier, we have new people coming into Linux. Those new people are bringing new hardware. They're not just using it on 10 year old laptops and stuff anymore. That's a use case for Linux, but that's not the only use case anymore. People are using the latest and greatest laptops they're buying, latest and greatest desktops, True. and they're wanting to use Linux and 
generally in those cases, you have to move them to a rolling release model so that everything will work properly. And Canonical may not, is known, Ubuntu has been known for the distro for new people. I don't know that that's the case anymore. I don't recommend it. Uh, I recommend Pop! OS because they actually, as a hardware company, do go in, even though it's based on Ubuntu, and do the hardware enablement like they did with AMD immediately uh, to make things work. So that may be an option out there. But I think Ubuntu needs to do something in their flavors to kind of mm -hmm. have yeah. that option. Just immediately, it's worth noting, before even the motherboard manufacturers had a chance to issue BIOS updates. Yeah, Pop! OS fixed mm -hmm. it, yep. Yeah, but just, yeah. A, just, just a quick defense of UKUU, um, I don't really class it as a hack. For me, it's the only one that will safely get me onto the latest uh, kernel within the, U, within the Ubuntu sphere. Um, you literally just install it, fire it up, pick the one you want, click install, reboot, and you've not had to worry about any of the integrations with um, Ubuntu. Now, that might only be on my particular software. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. Don't get me wrong. UK you use amazing, but it's still a hack that's not officially supported. So if Correct. you're going to yeah. go to Canonical or you start having issues with Grub or it creates uh, irrelevant Grub issues, which I've had it do in the past and things like that, it's not something that I would want to. You can use it, but it's not something I would want to rely on or oh, no. or recommend it to a beginner or whatever. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing and I'm guessing it's just the terminology, because for me, when you talk about hacking something, it's it's digging into the depths of doing it or whereas this is just a very simple GPU, uh, a, a, a GUI rather. But I do get where you're coming from. Yes, it can mess up. Um, and unfortunately, it is no longer free. Uh, if you want the latest, latest version, you will have to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. And also to say that, they, that, that, that the reason I noticed this issue with the rolling thing is that when I was talking to people who were wanting to try out the Mumble server that we talked about last week, uh, they when trying to get the clients, they would be like, um, we talked about getting rid of the lips. And some people were like, they're still here because these distros haven't updated it in order to get the latest version. You know, it's very recent, right? But on Windows or Mac, you just get to download the new version. Whereas Linux, in some distros, you have to wait a very long time in order to get those versions or find another way to do it. So like flat packs or snaps and that kind of thing allows you to bypass those issues. And uh, that's really the, and like without having the, like you can do that with applications, but you can't really do that with the core systems. And not all applications are in those models, right? They're that's not true all too. snapped and, and flat packed and all of that. So yeah, there's a lot missing there, but it'll be interesting to see. I think it's an interesting move for the CentOS thing. It will be also interesting to see how Fedora kind of plays into this new model uh, more as we, you know, we've just got the announcement as the new releases come out. So speaking of Fedora, as we were on the last article, Fedora 31 is now available um, for you beta testers out there, and it's got better multimedia codec support. One of the issues for new users of Fedora is the lack of multimedia codec support by default. Um, experienced users know how to, to where to go and how to get these codecs, uh, codecs, but new users find the experience frustrating compared to Ubuntu. So in version 31, Fedora will now have support for AAC, H.264 support, thanks to the pay, patents uh, lapsing, um, and other improvements. They include Wayland improvements, performance improvements from the GNOME 3.34 uh, upstream work, better QT application integration, 
improvements to Pipewire as the next generation audio video stream implementation that will eventually replace Pulse Audio and Jack. Um, so we'll cover Fedora 31 in more detail when it gets released in uh, October. But I just wanted to say that I had a chance to install it this week. I hadn't had it for quite a while. And I must say there have been some great improvements. Installation was very simple and easy to use. They've definitely made some changes to their way of thinking about certain software. And I've now realized why people like to use the flagship GNOME because there was a couple of times when I was trying to do stuff, it then said, oh, I can't do this because I haven't got this particular application. Would you like to go to the software store and install it? Now, that's not something that works if you're not on GNOME for some reason. So for me, um, that was really, really good. And multimedia, again, was out of the box, very simple. OBS Studio, Steam, and Pulse Audio all worked as expected. So, yeah, Fedora has come leaps and bounds from 30, and it's much easier to use now. Nice. Yep. I've always have a fondness in my heart for Fedora uh, since the recent changes uh, have come, since 30, really. Um, they've just made leaps and bounds in the usability and user experience front, which honestly was dominated pretty much solely by Ubuntu uh, for a long time. And they're finally taking some hints here and making it much easier to use for your average person. I also find it really interesting that they mentioned specifically the improvements to Pipewire. I'm very interested to see Pipewire. I heard about it months and months ago. I'm very interested to see where it's going. They're starting to integrate more and more of it into uh, this 31 release. And I can't wait for the opportunity to have a replacement out there for Pulse Audio and Jack because I still think one of the weakest parts in Linux is audio. Uh, and while I have managed to work around and fix some of those issues and have scripts out there on my page, uh, for that, it's still, to me, a weak point where normal user is not going to want to go and follow the instructions that I have for fixing some of the issues with different uh, audio equipment and things that you'll run into. So Pipewire, hopefully, uh, will be what we all hope it can be in the next-gen audio streaming tool uh, that we well, can and, use. And that's the thing, like the, the word you used, Ryan, workaround, right? The, mm -hmm. I, I don't think the average person wants to work around not having audio codecs or not having reliable intuitive um audio on their yeah. on their operating system and this is actually one of the things that that turned me away from fedora when i first started using linux was that i had to use something like rpm fusion or, or manually install all of those codecs right and i just i'm i'm so i'm so finicky when it comes to an out-of-the-box experience that if everything doesn't work i'm like bye i'm gone i respect <laughs> i respect what you're doing but it's not for me yeah Endeavor OS has received a lot of attention in the Arch world for its fantastic community support and for being a continuation of the Antergos project. This month, they have a new release that includes lots of bug fixes, latest kernel and app updates, and a new Endeavor OS welcome launcher, which is something I always personally appreciate. It's a one-click menu to the wiki for the basic system commands and setting up your hardware. NVIDIA installer is now installed by default, which now also installs the DKMS drivers. GTOP system monitor, a nice terminal-based system load monitor that launches from the panel. Endeavor OS just basically continues to be a fantastic, easy to install Arch and XFCE distro. 
it's one of the closest to pure arch experiences out there. And I know, I know that Zeb certainly loves it. And I know that I, I keep hearing about it on Twitter left and right. And I think these guys are doing something right. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. a perfect example of a distro that the developers are in tune with the community. They're listening to what people are suggesting and the feedback that they're getting. They even listen to Michael, which we all know how hard that is. Uh, they listen yeah, to right? Michael's feedback. What? Um, I, I've installed Endeavor on my tablet uh, here that I mentioned, the Surface Go. Um, it, you know, I wanted that Arch experience, but honestly, messing with the tablet to begin with, I knew there was going to be some pain in getting things to work. And I really didn't want to sit there all week figuring out how to get Arch installed on it. All I had to do in this case was put in the USB, install Endeavor to a USB, plug it in and go. I didn't have to mess with any partitioning. It figured all that stuff out for me, which was fantastic. It's just, it's a great Arch experience from beginning to end. The only downfall, I think, for Endeavor for some people, and it's not a downfall because XFC is probably one of the greatest desktop environments ever on the planet, at least to me. Um, For a desktop though, but for a tablet, for instance, XFC, not so much, right? The touch screen's really not there. The menus aren't kind of set up for a tablet, but I was easily able to uh, just go in, remove XFCE, well, install GNOME, and then remove XFCE and have the GNOME desktop in Endeavor. So if one of the issues with Endeavor is you prefer KDE desktop, you prefer GNOME desktop, you can still, uh, just because that's the default there, you can still go in there and install a different desktop and be fine. Um, It's just a fantastic distro. I love it. I love the way they react to the community and work with the community. And I'm so glad they continued on the Antergos project. The, what I was going to say is it, it must be this Dust Geek bug that's taken over me this week because irregardless of whether or not it's a good OS, for me, the forum is just as important. And that's one of the things that, that, that leapt out of me when it, when it first appeared. They had a great forum in Antigos. They wanted to keep that flavor alive, um, and they've done that incredibly well. The Telegram group is very friendly and responsive and the actual forums themselves even if you post a dumb question you get a sensible answer i don't think i've ever seen a single rtfm type reply Um, and the good news for those people who don't like delving into arch and installing other desktops they will be bringing out a slightly different installer that will enable you to choose the desktop of your choice at installation which is super Mm -hmm. cool there's actually one of the things that one of the good things about Interagos was the different DEs you could choose from. And yeah. that's one of the most important pieces that Endeavor wanted to continue, but they wanted to do it where they wanted to get their, the, the, the core system ready to be tested and to be used and to show that this is what they're doing and this is what their plans are and then get feedback and that kind of thing based on that. But they also, since day one, have been planning to do separate DEs that you can choose with a net install. So you could still, it'll be a single installer, but when you when they get to the point where they're actually ready to do it, they think that maybe sometime in maybe late October, sometime in November, roughly around that time is maybe when they're going to be doing it. This is not like a information that's been published or anything. It's just like that's what the on the forums they've like kind of said that like this is what we're kind of hoping for, but there's just not like an announcement or anything. Uh, but mm-hmm. the Endeavor OS thing is is something that's really interesting to me because if people might not be aware that I used to be a com- contributor on the team for Intergos. And there was uh, a lot of things that I That's wish... That's why the project died. How dare you? 
Yes, because I did I did actually leave the project before it died, so I guess that may be anyway. So so with that said, um so Interagos is something that is is uh is something that I used to work with, so the Endeavor project is very interesting to me and is very much something I've been wanting for a while because there were things that Interagos did that I didn't necessarily agree with and when having conversations with Endeavor, they're so receptive with the with ideas from everyone yeah. that even the things that I would say like when I disagreed with the things they were doing, they listened to my feedback and then went and discussed it and sometimes they agreed with me, sometimes they didn't. But they when they implemented things, they, they knew that the people who were trying to help are there to help because we want to make it the best as possibly can be. And right. they're not trying to do like you know that this, this this is what they want to do. This is what we're going to do. We want to make something for the community f- as a community-driven focus, and I think that's one of the best things yeah. about Endeavor. I would also have to say um, that I just love their attitude. You know, yeah. I love the fact that they're they're saying, you know what, we're using we're using the Yay helper for the AUR instead of a, a GUI application because we want you to learn these commands and we want you to understand and have more control over you know what's what's going on to your system but we're not going to judge you if you want to use a gui helper go right ahead and um and they're even launching this kind of discovery platform i think is is what they're calling it uh it was originally intended to be kind of a, a like a like a downloadable quarterly magazine but now it's it's shifting into an online platform where they'll have articles and they'll have guides and they'll actually they have a vested interest in teaching you the command line and teaching you to have more control over your system mm-hmm. and um i love i just love that that's I agree yeah. i love that they're making the effort to not just present an operating system but but to teach people how to use it in in a powerful way i, yeah. I think that's great there's also some conversations i had with them that were it goes perfectly in line with that because they were i asked them about like what was the goal about their like whether how they want to treat beginners and stuff and they're saying they, they focus on beginner to arch to learn arch versus the beginners using arch. And I think that's the best approach because there, there was one time when I had a conversation and I was like, this might be a little bit difficult to beginners and it would be confusing and maybe it would, you know, cause them to have like a headache. Uh, and he said, and they said that, uh, the better that what their goal is to do is to, if they, they're not trying to force a headache, but if a headache comes that requires learning arch, that is something that they're okay with because that's like the goal is to get people to learn not just using, you know, just using Arch, but also to learn the things about Arch that are beneficial. And I think that's right. a fantastic approach with the, the the goal of having the teaching thing because I think the one of the best things about Intergos was that it was so close to Arch. It was 100% compatible, but it was so different from Arch that it also created its own issues. Whereas Endeavor is trying to be as close as you possibly can be while still being a derivative. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. So the Oracle story we covered last week was such a hit with the whole crew. I figured why not put another Oracle story in here. Um, so Oracle has built a Raspberry Pi supercomputer and has achieved the world's largest, according to them, cluster of Pis. So that sounds delicious, actually. Uh, the supercomputer comes with 1,060 Raspberry Pis, 49 custom printed holders to hold all of this, 22 network switches to connect all of them up, and 18 USB power supplies, and of course, a plethora of wires 
and ports everywhere. This is a $37,100 worth of equipment to make this Raspberry Pi supercomputer. So if you're wanting to do this at home, you might first want to play the lottery. Uh, but it comes with 4,240 cores at 1.44 gigahertz each uh, of processing for that. So that's quite a bit of power to pull out of a Raspberry Pi. Uh, the supercomputer is, of course, running the super popular, according to last week of the deal crew, Oracle Autonomous Linux and Java applications. So, you know, a lot of people were coming out and saying, hey, this is clearly a publicity stunt and all that. But I don't care. I think it's cool, even mm. if it is a publicity stunt, because you've taken all of those Raspberry Pis and turned them into a supercomputer. And that's just fun. That's awesome. A lot of people in my Telegram group are doing the Pi clusters now. Um, Bo, who comes to my uh, Linux user group, uh, the famous pen tester we all talk to, uh, he has a new cluster of Pies that he's put together for some of his hacking, pen testing, and just network monitoring. Uh, so clustering them together is a thing that a lot of people like to do. Most people don't have 1,060 of them. Probably Noah does, but most people don't have 1,060 of them <laughs> to do this with. I think it's pretty awesome. There are a lot of projects you can do if you cluster your Raspberry Pis together. Uh, so if you're interested in trying to do something new with your Raspberry Pi, first of all, there's probably 900,000 projects out there to choose from. Um, but if you want to do some of this clustering, you could do a web server cluster. A lot of people cluster them together to do software testing and different distribution models, home automation, pen testing like I talked about with Bo and, and cracking passwords and things. By clustering them together, you increase some of the compute capabilities of this low-cost machine. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. And I, I would like there was one article I saw that said it, they're they're making a super uh, to make it look like a TARDIS, and it was like just because it had blue eyes. I'm like that's a little stretch, but <laughs> uh, at the same time, I think it is really cool that they're doing this just because of yes, it's a public publicity stunt. But who cares? Of course, it would be a publicity stunt if you legitimately wanted to use a supercomputer or make a cluster of things. You wouldn't really use a Pi to do that. So right. it is a it is a fun thing that they're doing, and it is pretty much pointless. But I I really hope that at some point they're going to make a second version of this because I know that seems even more ridiculous. But I think that a thousand sixty is not enough. Pies. I think they need to get to three thousand one hundred and forty-one. Oh, they missed a perfect ex marketing opportunity. Ex exactly. They need to do that. And if they do that, then I Man. will. I will. We will definitely cover it again because that is that that. Just That's do it, why these companies need to hire you, man. You'd be like, no, we're not doing 1,060. We got to do the Pi 3.14. That, that's yeah. brilliant, dude. <laughs> Thank Love you. It. Thank you. So on, on the subject of, of supercomputers, now I know it's not in the show notes, but did anybody read um, the test that was recently done? Um, I think, is it quantum? Like, what's the new sort of like? Quantum computing? Quantum computing, that's the one. And mm -hmm. it's by, by, by Ryan's favorite company, Google. Um, and, and what they've achieved is they did a task in 200 seconds that would take a normal supercomputer 100,000 years. Mm -hmm. Now, how awesome is that if and when we can get quantum computers working properly? I think it's just a – everybody talks about Moore's law. Oh, we can only go so fast where I can only get so much out of something. But 
200 seconds to 100,000 years? That's just ridiculous. I think it's amazing and at the same time terrifying. It's terrifying so. for any of the people who are in security and realize that computers this powerful probably will be able to crack a lot of the hashes out there. Super quickly. Uh, when they yeah. get, yeah, when they it, get running. It'll go from having, you know, this my password is super safe. It'd take 800 years down to maybe like a day. And at that point, the it's not that big of an issue. So it it's going to be... It, that's a bigger topic we should discuss later, but uh, at some point, I hope the people who are doing the com- the, com- uh, the quantum computing like testing and benchmarking and all that stuff to get it to work are also working with the security people to make sure that that's not an issue. Uh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Up next in the show is some awesome great news, and no, I'm kidding. It's awful because um, patent trolls exist. So uh, Shotwell and is being sued. Well, Gnome Foundation exactly is being sued by, because of some stuff in Shotwell that is supposedly violating some patent stuff, which is just absurd and just absolutely crazy. So these patent trolls are basically, uh, you know, they're targeting Shotwell. The if you're not aware, Shotwell is a free and open source photo management app. And the law. By the way, in our opinion, they're patent trolls. Just for our lawyer's sake, in, in our opinion, they're patent. Yes, trolls. our opinion. Yes, L- allegedly. Uh, a, a lawsuit has been filed by uh, Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC. Like, they're even the name is a company is about patents. So, okay. So, you know where you can send your emails to once you hear this story. But uh, Gnome has had this to say about this situation. Uh, Gnome Foundation has, ma- has been made aware of a lawsuit from Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC over patent 9,936,086. Okay. Uh, Rothschild alleged that. Shotwell and free and open source photo management infringes their patents and or this patent and the patent that Shotwell is allegedly in violation appears to be related to the getting photos off connected devices. Yeah, because that hasn't been around for way before this company ever had that patent. Right. Morons, in my opinion. In my opinion, yes. <laughs> in my opinion as well. Uh, Neil McGovern says they intend to vigorously defend against this baseless lawsuit, which is fantastic. It would be great if and uh, if possible for the open source community to help with this situation and somehow like legal fees if they want to donate to Gnome Foundation for it or whatever. It's a shame that patent trolls are able to do this kind of thing because you know basic patent functionality uh, or pa- basic functionality shouldn't be able to be patented. Like, actually, software patents shouldn't exist. If you're creating something that is uh, you know so- the concept of a patent for the uh, an invention you created or some kind of method of something that you created that's a physical thing that couldn't e- be made by someone else or whatever. But software patents are basically patenting ideas. They're not patenting a thing. They're patenting an idea of a thing because you can't patent source code because that's copyright. That's a very different thing. So patent software patents themselves have really no value in existence. And ex- the only thing they have for value is allowing patent troll, alleged patent trolls to do things like this. So what I find really frustrating about this particular subject is, okay, so let's say for argument's sake, whether it's legal or illegal, relevant or irrelevant, there is this patent and they think that, or patent, whatever you want to call it, and they think that Ubuntu and um, Shotwell are infringing upon it. What's the bottom line benefit of them enforcing it? Are they going to get hundreds of thousands of more sales of their particular product now that Shotwell can't be used? No. Well, it's not so a, why are they doing it? It's not even a product thing. 
like they're doing it because um, what my based on this company's name and the small amount of research I've been able to do because it's very hard to find a lot of details on these people uh, or this company is to uh, is basically that this exists for patents and to own patents, not to make products. So the they're worthless. They're no. yes, allegedly worthless. So uh, they're the the problem is that they are purposely trying to sue them to get money in a lawsuit. They they don't care about what happens to Shotwell. They don't care about what happens for violations or whatever. They don't. They're doing it so they get money from this lawsuit. And they're attacking uh-huh. the Gnome Foundation specifically because the Gnome Foundation is big enough to sue in this case. Like if you, that's why they're not they're not uh, suing the Shotwell developers. They're suing the Gnome Foundation because their name is behind the creation of Shotwell, and therefore they're big enough target. So that's really what this, it is. Wow. So they're not just suing the Gnome Foundation. They're suing any company, right? Get this. They're suing any company who mentions grouping photos based on date, location, facial recognition, or, or transferring images from one device to another. I'm not yeah. making this up. Yeah. There, are, uh, there are six active cases involving just this specific thing. And, and looking at the lawsuit... It's it's insanity. Like they're they're calling out stuff like copying photos from a digital camera, publishing photos to Facebook, Flickr, Picasso web albums, or other sites, organizing photos by labeling them. Wow. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's absolutely yeah. it's preposterous. Yes, absolutely. And it's These just laws out here exist, and then there's companies out here that you know people do not hold accountable for their lack of moral compass. And, mm-hmm. and existing and you know i i think that they're suing the gnome foundation but they're also suing in my opinion everybody in the open source community in a way and that's why you know neil hasn't specifically asked for support yet and they are they do have some funds to hire some lawyers and i understand they've secured a um a, a legal team to help them with this patent trolling which is what i think it is um, but at the same time, I hope they do open it up for the open source community. And I tweeted out that I would love to help support as well. And I know most of us would um, financially to support them to destroy these guys in the courtroom, because I think they, in a way, they're coming after everybody in the community with doing this kind of nonsense and picking on the Gnome Foundation, you know, an open source software foundation is to me testing the waters for what they're going to do with this patent to other corporations because then if they can beat the gnome foundation which to them may seem like an easy target compared to every company by the way that creates any type of software has this functionality built into it it, this this they could reference in future court cases when they're going up against much bigger well-established businesses that we had this court case we won it that, that, you know, they're going to basically move to it. So I think they're picking mm-hmm. on what they would consider a softer target uh, in order to test their uh, patent out here. So I want them to lose as um, big as possible so mm-hmm. and, and destroy them. So I hope the Gnome Foundation allows for the community to give back because uh, I would love to see them get destroyed. Yeah. And Neil, if you're out there, my baseball bat is yours, son. Just tell me when and where. <laughs> If they go ahead with this, they've got to sue Apple. They've got to sue Google. They've got to sue Samsung. They've got to sue every single phone manufacturer in the world. You nah, just made no, they don't. You just no, made them happy. Because they'll lose those. They'll lose those. Exactly. But I think they would lose those even if they did beat the software foundation, the, the GNOME foundation. Yes. Because they've got 
probably twice as much money for lawyers. It does end up being about money at the end of the day, but I think, uh, you know, open source this problem to the community and we can come up with enough money to make them uh, second guess their decision here. Mm -hmm. So Microsoft Game Studios has emphasized that their studios, and that's that's the many uh, game studios, both independent and, and larger, that they own under their umbrella, will only focus on Xbox platforms going forward. Now, this is a quote from the company. Thinking about the next game from Obsidian, In Exile, or Ninja Theory, all those studios, just like our existing internal studios, whether that's 343 or Turn 10, they're going to be focused on making those games for our platforms. So we have no plans to expand any of those exclusive first-party titles to any other consoles. Wow. And now I know that he said consoles, but... This, this comes across very clearly as, you know, we're probably going to release on Steam, but we're absolutely not going to, uh, you know, let these studios make Linux ports. And this is a big deal because, you know, the larger discussion is how do we feel about this? Because uh, In Exile and Obsidian and Ninja Theory all have a history of doing Linux ports of their games. and Ah, so yeah, I think they also you know, bought Double Fine, right? So they the same thing with Double Fine. Yeah, Double. You're absolutely right. Double Fine, which also has a history of doing uh, some solid Linux ports, and so that's that's four fairly substantial game studios who will not be given the resources uh, to make Linux ports, or flat out won't be allowed to make to make um, Linux ports of their games going forward. So. Let's uh, Microsoft Hearts Linux. Yeah. Well, and this is this is a this is a very unfortunate piece of news to come out after, you know, our friend Christopher Scott has been trying to do what he's doing, Mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, try to understand why people don't trust Microsoft and try to and try to um, improve that relationship. Yeah. It's just man. It's interesting it because it's kind, think- it's kind of like uh, Christopher was like handing out an olive branch and then Microsoft is there. You know what? Oak tree power lines go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I find really frustrating about this is, and I've, I've always got very simplistic views on this. This is Microsoft panicking about the popularity of the Sony PS4 and the PS5 that's going to be coming out. So they think, Hey, I know what let's make everybody who loves these MS games only be able to play them on the Xbox. So they can't go out and buy the new PS5. Well, I'm sorry, Microsoft, I think that's going to backfire on you because everybody's just going to see that this is just a big, bad, bully Microsoft doing something that they think what everybody else wants. And I, for one, will definitely be going out and buying a PS5 now just so that I can use Ryan's wonderful glove up there and give Microsoft a message. (laughs) <laughs> but okay, but but see, this is where this is where I actually have to defend Microsoft, believe it or not, because you know what is Sony releasing their games for PC? It, it, you know, Microsoft has said not only are we going to release a bunch of our Xbox games on PC, but we're going to start releasing them on Steam as well, and not lock you to the Windows Store, and we're going to allow you know crossplay for games like Minecraft across Nintendo Switch I wouldn't PC count Minecraft Xbox considering that already PlayStation had it, 5 but... and and they've actually taken a much more gamer friendly leap than the Nintendos and the PlayStations of the world right sure 
I would say that so, they, the problem is that they have another platform that is in a competitive market. Like, they have the other platform. The Nintendo doesn't have a, a Windows. They don't have anything like that. And Sony doesn't either. So, like, they, the only thing they have to work with is their exclusive consoles. So, I think the idea that if Microsoft was, like... If that if the term console was legitimately a literal reference referring to the console wars of PlayStation, Nintendo versus Xbox, and they were only talking about Xbox, but they're saying Xbox platforms, and the platform implies the Windows thing because their Windows side of their games also is an Xbox branded thing. So I don't think it necessarily means consoles. And also to reference like people say, you know, it's just a console thing. Well, when has Microsoft ever made a game for Linux? Ever any of their games? Any of they they've this is not the first time they purchased a, a game studio that made Linux games and then stopped making Linux games. This is just well, so many of them at once. Here's the difference: PlayStation has multiple times approached Microsoft, as I understand it, to say, "Let's make these games cross-platform." Some yes. of the games that they share, and Microsoft has said no. So I think it's actually the opposite of that, isn't it? I don't I think, think it's the so. other way around. Really? Yeah. I don't I really think do. so. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, maybe it was. May, maybe. Now Now you've got me questioning. Um, I, I think that PlayStation, though, despite that, the biggest advantage they could have, because Microsoft does have this other platform, is if they would actually come and release some of their games for Linux. Imagine if Sony Studios did that as a reaction to this news. The amount of support and fame and fandom that they would get if they said, hey, we're going to release our games on Steam for Linux, not for Microsoft Windows, because they are missing that important market. For the life of me, I can't understand why they don't do that. Uh, a lot of the PlayStation is based on the current PlayStation. The new one is based on the AMD CPUs, AMD GPUs. Um, very compatible, I think, uh, cross-functionally with Linux, uh, at least some of the later distros out there. And I believe PlayStation is based on BSD, if I'm not mistaken, the software yes. operating system that they utilize. Please be so safe. there is a lot of options out there um, for them to, I think, uh, you know, be able to send a, a message back and continue to dominate because the original uh, Xbox was way more popular than the PlayStation 3 then Microsoft really messed up with the Xbox One release because they had all kinds of mixed messaging about whether they were going to have the ability to uh, have physical discs and they were going to just make it a streaming box and all this stuff in the market wasn't I they, ready. I think it wasn't even a mismanagement mis mis of like the miscommunication. I think they legitimately were doing a streaming box and then people like hated that idea and they were like, oh, we're going to fix it. That wasn't what we were doing. And then it took them longer to get the thing out because they had actually planned to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was all like TV, TV, sports, live events, yay, <laughs> and not yeah. a game console. But I, so here's where we here's where we need to make a decision, and I think this is where the community gets really divided, and I completely understand it. I've had a ton of people on Twitter. Uh, come to me and say, well, that's it. I'm not buying any more Obsidian games or In Exile games or Double Fine games or Ninja Theory games. I'm not giving them a penny of my money unless it's a native Linux port of these games, which presumably aren't, you know, aren't going to happen. But my argument is we speak with our wallets, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we buy 
if if Microsoft releases that game outside of the Windows Store and they do put it on Steam, and that game runs perfectly fine via Steam Proton, if you argue that we are speaking with our wallets, then then I guess my response to that would be, yes, if that game runs on Proton, then we should buy it if we want to play it because we're we're giving Valve our money for the work that they've done on Proton. We are sending a message to the developers that, hey, we're playing this on Linux. We're buying this from Linux. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think? Well, my only caveat to that is, in all honesty, compared with Windows gamers, how many Linux gamers are there out there? Is uh, it going to be enough that they get another half percent, one percent on their bottom line because of Linux. It's more than that, but I would say that it's definitely not a huge market. But in the sense of like the, the biggest issue here is solely for Microsoft's attempt to uh, you know market and appease the community of Linux. Like if if this if this came out you know seven years ago, no one would have been like, yeah, whatever, Wouldn't who cares? Newsworthy. Yeah, it would be like, yeah, we get it, you're Microsoft. But now they're trying to position themselves to be community-driven. They're trying to be, well, community-aware, I guess, rather than driven. But like they're, they're trying to position themselves in the sense that they want us to want to use their products and their services and that kind of thing. And that's great that they're trying to do it. But they have to acknowledge that we're watching them more so now because of these claims that they're trying to do versus when we used to just assume the worst because they were pretty pretty much right when we assumed it then if they want us to they want to prove to us the difference that that they have changed they these this is an example that they haven't and i understand why they like the bottom line money wise it's not worth the effort it would be worth the effort to make sure that those games worked in proton because they wouldn't have to work, work write anything super special they just need to make it work with vulcan rather than directx and they need to make it work with uh, basically just make testing with Proton. And then mm-hmm. if it worked in Proton, that alone would be impressive enough to say, okay, they care. They don't have to make it native for us. They don't have to make it uh, you know, open source all of their products and all that other stuff. If they just no, show that no. they care at all is what they need to do. And, making, and like working with Proton and working with Valve to make their games work Especially like they're they're ones that are not take you know purchasing a new company like Double Fine or Subsidian. They actually take with the games that like they bring Halo to Linux. If they were to do that with Proton, that would be such a massive like proof that they actually have changed. And this article is implying that they have no intention of doing that. I just don't think Microsoft has the big draw with the IPs that they're taking with these studios that they once had. And I'm basing that solely on just feeling here. But, um, you know, when I look at Gears of War, there was a time where I would have bought a console just to play that game. But on Twitch, when they released the new version, it's pretty much when you look at Twitch as what people are interested in, that game has almost, you know, no following on Twitch at all. People are just not that interested in it. It's not different enough. Halo's the same way. Uh, When they released the new Halo, I believe I went and bought the Xbox One X to play it. And I was like, oh, I just so disappointed. I don't know that any of these power grabs for these studios that they're grabbing, this big studio grab 
is really, it's kind of like EA in a way. Every time they buy one of these studios, they kind of wreck the IP at the end of the day. And the games are never that big of a draw anymore. Now, there's always people who are just going to be the AAA hunters that go out and look for the latest and greatest thing that uh, gets released out there. But I think people are kind of with the loot box situations, the half-baked games everybody's been getting from these AAA studios and, you know, uh, Xbox's reputation as a whole uh, from the last Xbox compared to PS4. I just have a hard time believing this is really going to matter in the gaming market all that much. Would it be nice to see those games available for Steam? Sure. But as a gamer, I just don't, uh, I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not playing the latest Gears of War or Halo or anything because they've just not been anything spectacular in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, but now, I mean, now we're talking about some very respected, you know, RPG studios like Obsidian, and and some very respected indie game developers like uh, like Double Fine. You know, these are these are games that cumulatively add up and and add value to a brand. To but when IP. they get bought up, they just tend to get wrecked by these mm-hmm. big studios. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. There is a history of that. Mm-hmm. Briefly going back to a, a, a section we had a moment ago, um, and it was to do with crossplay. And it's not necessarily about both games being available on both platforms, but people on both platforms being able to play with each other. And believe it or not, this was a serious quote from the CEO of Sony You cannot have crossplay because PlayStation is the best. Now, if that's somebody who's just simply, okay. simply okay. shut the doors to 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 people, Boy, being able, yeah, you know, people they being able since, to game each other, it's ridiculous. They they have, they have since no very slowly changed their tune. But. Yeah, they mm. changed it a little bit. Like uh, one of the things about Rocket League is that you couldn't play against Sony people. Like you could either play with Sony or Xbox, but you couldn't have an Xbox person and a Sony person couldn't play in the same match. And it was just so ridiculous. And that's pretty much gone away now. I think. So like there's, they are changing a little. Such a big opportunity to capture the desktop gaming market and have an alternative to Microsoft Windows. Every sign points to the fact that Microsoft is creating their store to take on Steam. They're creating their store that everybody will go to to control the app market as well. They're buying up all these game Whoa. studios to kind of create. Whoa, Whoa. Uh, no, no. The Windows store is never going to take off, Ryan. But that's what they're trying. <laughs> they're to trying is never yeah. going to be I a threat agree, to Steam. But that's exactly what they're trying to accomplish. They they want that's to true. directly with Steam, and Sony's missing out on the opportunity to partner with Steam and bring this whole thing because we know Valve loves Linux and bring a desktop gaming solution with Sony's IPs to Linux and have that as an option for to take on the PC market because. Honestly, Microsoft really didn't care that the Xbox, latest Xbox, was pretty much, especially compared to their prior generations, a failure because they had Windows too, right? They had the yeah. desktop market hook, line, and sinker. So uh, if Xbox doesn't take off, they still have that Windows desktop platform, which has come back into popularity uh, heavily as desktop gaming. So I just think Sony is missing out so big, and I would love to see them. No, uh, Ryan, I think that you're. I think that you're missing out. I don't think Sony is missing out. Yeah. Why? Uh, honestly, like, well, because Sony doesn't need to release their games on PC because they have the PlayStation, and that's where people will buy those games, and that's the hardware that Maybe. they will buy to play those games. So I think this is more a case of us wanting this, but not a case of a company 
having any incentive to do it. I think that, and I think that's, I would disagree with it. That they don't have any incentive. I think like financially speaking, you, they wouldn't have incentive, but Sony is the same kind of thing of, you know, they, they do things not only for the money, but also because it's, you know, kind of a jab at, at Microsoft. Like they added things uh, to the PlayStation network that, in, that was basically a jab at Microsoft. So, like, I, do, do you remember? Do you remember when the uh, the Xbox One announcement happened at E3, and and uh, Sony came out with this commercial saying, "This is how you share your games on PlayStation." And they take a, they take a game box, and they're like, "Here you go." Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, like, yeah, they are good at that. They're 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 aware that they can. That, 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 I think that's one of the things they should look at is that because the potential, like, Fandom there's there's market. so much potential for power in the sense of like this uh reputational improvement just like dominance and dominant like there's people who would switch to linux to play some of these games like yep. if they brought the spider-man movie franchise games like the like especially the latest one into linux there are people who would switch from windows to do that and that's that's one of the powers that they could do. They could utilize that and if they had an in, a partnership with valve that gave them financial reason to do it there's a huge potential there. Whether it's happening, whether it's logical, whether it's possible, whether it's probably whatever. not, but it's a good pipe dream. Yeah, that, exactly. Mm-hmm. I know it's dreaming, but it's a fantastic it's, pipe yeah. dream. I'll get- but I guess we punked out of that one. So there you go. <laughs> so this week's software spotlight is Picard. Now we talked a lot about Star Trek, so this one will be really easy to remember because he's one of the greatest captains ever in Star Trek. So. Uh, Picard is a music tagger software in the Linux world, however, and that is our software spotlight. So music can get very unwieldy to manage, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have a mass amount of music to organize. And that's where a tool like Picard comes in handy. Picard is a cross-platform music tagger written in Python. It's a simple tool to use. You just select the cluster or file that you want to look up and click the lookup button in the toolbar. Picard will query things like music brains with your existing metadata and attempt to find the best possible solutions to help you organize all of the media that you have there. So if you have a huge collection of music and you've not been one of those who have just gone to one of the streaming services out there uh, instead for your music, then check out Picard. Yep. And also it's a great name choice because we got to clarify, it's not just the best captains, one of the best captains in Star Trek, but one of the best captains just in general. Yes, mm-hmm. except for Kirk. He's the greatest. Just a, a quick caveat, though, for people who do have a large um, music library, don't just blanketly accept what it's giving you. Use the please find me first and let me review option. Otherwise, you might suddenly find yourself with your whole music collection and the wrong titles and all sorts displayed. So like photographic removers, if it's a duplicate, review line by line before you say okay yep so our tip this week is mumble or specifically the awesome destination linux mumble server that is now available you can go to mumble.destinationlinux.network to find out how to join and also in the destination linux forum there will be a, a thread as well in the announcement section to let you know all about mumble and mumble is a great piece of software because it is a, it allows you to have communications for gaming, allows you to be communications for just having t- chats with you know, getting help or just in general discussions. And the quality of the audio is one of the best options as well as the, the low amount of data required, making it really easy to do so on in like a travel thing 
And, uh, you know, while you're in a car with someone or, you know, someone's driving and you're in the passenger seats, but better that the best option there is to, you know, you can go in there and not have to worry about how much data you're using because it doesn't use much at all anyway. So Mumble is definitely a great option to check out. And also be sure to check out the Mumble.DestinationLinux network to find out more. Yeah. Michael, that sounds like more of a trick than a trick or treat. It's almost Halloween. It's yeah. Are are you saying that I'm trying to trick them into going to what to our mumble server and joining it? Is that what you're saying? Because basically, (laughs) if there was like a Linux for everyone section there, then maybe I would get behind that a little more. There is actually. So there actually is. You join, go in mumble.destinationlinux.network, and you could find the Linux for everyone channel in there as well. Aww. Look at Bless that. Bless you, sir. Bless you. You can hang out with the whole community, be able to chat, be able to That's network. Awesome. It actually was something when we launched the discourse that was asked really early on is, hey, I want to get a bunch of these people that I'm meeting together uh, in a gaming session. Are you guys going to have a mumble server? And we're like, yes, but we were having a little bit issues with the server to get everything up and running. So it is now official. It's been up and running. Me and Michael were in it this morning. Uh, testing around so nice. it's just it's really awesome a, a way to get in there and chat with the community directly you can hang out in any of the rooms or set up a gaming session with your friends and get in there and start gaming and have a great communication platform that because it's so low data while you're gaming doesn't interrupt or cause lag spikes and other things like some of the other services out there that uh, beautiful and plus mumble has dark mode now so really there's no excuse that's true Excellent. and they got rid of the stupid lips if you don't know what I'm talking Yay. about, I'll have a screenshot in the show notes. There you go. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and supporters. So we just want to give a special shout out to all of you who have come out and supported us. Um, also, for all of the love and support from the Destination Linux Network launch, we really appreciate that. We do a live show for our patrons so you can come to join us and be a part of the show for just $1. That's darn near free. That's how we found this Jason guy randomly to show up and host. He was just a patron and we just pulled him. Oh, yeah. oh maybe not. But Jason, seriously, <laughs> thank you for joining us as well on this yeah, episode man, of Destination Linux. It's always a blast. Speaking of support, become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums and I also hear there is this cool new Mumble server that you can join as well. You can network with people from all over the world and share your passion and love for open source and Linux. You can make new friends, contribute to the community, and get involved in giving back campaigns all from the destinationlinux.network website. And if you want to chat about this episode or any episode of our individual podcasts across the network, it can all be done right there. And um, on a personal note, I am rather addicted to it. And I got this badge that said I'd shown up 10 days in a row. So nice. that was pretty awesome. Nice. And please remember to get back to us and let us know what you think or ask any of those burning questions via numerous methods. Uh, we're still hoping to get a couple of more emails out there. And there are some swag bags up for grabs. So please remember to... Try and keep them to a minute, maybe two minutes maximum, because whilst the um, videos that come through of 10, 15 minutes are interesting, we can't really use them fully in the show. So keep it short and succinct, and you're more likely uh, to get your information on the show. But failing that, get back to us at comments at destinationlinux.org. 
our Telegram group, our Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, Mumble, and a load of other ways that Michael talks about on destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep them comments and questions coming. We love to read them and hear of ways we might be able to improve the show. Yep. And if you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out. You can check out Ryan at youtube.com slash dosgeek, where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out Rob, a.k.a. Zeb, at youtube.com slash zebedeboss, where you can find him playing his Zebedee Gaming YouTube channel and also the occasional Gen 2 how-tos and also back to ETS as well. So if you're missing that, his live streams, be sure to go there. You can check out my content at tuxdigital.com where I do an in-depth weekly Linux news podcast, This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content. You can check out Noah's content by going to asknoahshow.com where he hosts a weekly talk radio show uh, on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Central where you can ask him and for, he'll get, give you answers about your Linux and tech questions. Also check out Jason's podcast, Linux for Everyone. It's a fun podcast on the Destination Linux Network about desktop Linux, open source software, gaming, and the Linux community. And also be sure to like the uh, like that smash button and share the show on social media. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as Linux for everyone. Hmm. Somebody changed that. I love it. Thanks, everyone.